episode two of Coffee and Co. Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. So we're huge fans of YA and NA and fantasy and romance. It's a... Uh, <laughs> it's a problem. Yes. So I guess for me, my first love of a series was the OG. It was Harry Potter. And that was the first thing that kind of got me into reading outside of school when I was around 11. I definitely got into a few other series, but that was always my like number one. And then after that, I would say Amelia Atwater Rhodes books started my love and obsession with vampires. And Lord of the Rings was my first foray into fantasy. And and then, of course, you know, Twilight was in my teen years and I was I was team Edward all the way. I don't know how you could be anything other than Team Edward, really. I know there are people out there who are Team Jacob, but I just I don't get it. For me, the first series I really remember being into series-wise was Harry Potter, for sure. Um, I didn't actually get into it, though, I think until there was two books out. So I started reading it, and I already had two. But after that, I remember every single book coming out and going to the store at midnight to get the books. Um, I also remember taking the Chronicles of Narnia out at like the public library. And I also really loved them. And when they made the movies, I was loving life. They were so, I thought the movies (laughs) were really well done, but I just sort of, it was really, it's really hard for me to pinpoint when I sort of was actively reading for pleasure outside of school, because I just remember I, I was always that way. Like I was always a really voracious reader I remember really being into like Nora Roberts when I was a young teenager. I was like 12, 13, 14 years old reading Nora Roberts books, which are like, if you haven't read them, really, really heavy on the romance. (laughs) (laughs) Really not graphic sex scenes, but you know, they crest, right? Like (laughs) there's that, that description of, you know, he took me under and like I swelled like a wave like there's a lot of allusions to stuff in those books I'm really surprised my parents didn't like comment on the fact that I was reading like full-on romantic themed books but they didn't I remember the first book I really took out at the library at school just for pleasure was in grade seven eight and it was called blood and chocolate They did make a movie about it, and the movie was equally terrible. The book was also not great. Uh, Like, I cringe when I think about it now because the book itself was not an awesome book. But it really kickstarted my fascination into the fantasy genre. It was a full-on werewolf book. And then, of course, you know, I was into Twilight, and and I really liked... um, I really love Kelly Armstrong. She's a Canadian author. She's fantastic. She has so many books, but hers really got me into the idea of series. And now I almost feel like I exclusively read series, not on purpose. It's just, I'm not satisfied with a book that 
finishes in one book. Like I need to know more. Yeah, for sure. You want a book that you know there might be more little parts to it. That's why like a discovery of witches, I love that because she's coming out with more books and she's going to have spinoffs with different characters. And I'm really excited for that. Yeah. It's nice being able to like get to know a character and like one book almost doesn't seem like enough to introduce all the characters that need to be introduced and then have them be fleshed out and really have them evolve as characters across one book. Like you almost need the multiple books in order to, to really get to know the characters. So yeah, I love that she's doing these, this spinoff now, this extra story. Um, so, uh, if you tuned in last week, you will know that we are on part two of four of our foray into discovery of witches. Just a heads up. Obviously we are not a spoiler free zone, uh, and things could get a little saucy. So we are starting with chapter 12 today in week two. Um, starting with, uh, I guess we ended last chapter. They are going on a dinner date. Uh, Diana is going to cook for Matthew in her apartment. So she's picking out a menu. Yep. Um, So she asked him at the end of the last chapter, I guess, what he eats. Because what does a vampire eat other than blood? Nothing in most of the things you read. Um, But he says he's omnivorous. So she decides to kind of look up menus and recipes that are mostly raw food. But then she also, while she's out, calls a zoologist to ask about wolf eating patterns. Yeah. So I guess Matthew had done some research in the past and when she was looking him up, She found some of his research, and he did a lot of research on wolves for some reason. So she thought, hey, logical jump. He's into wolves. I'll feed him what wolves eat. Uh, So, you know, she she went out and she got a bunch of raw food and nuts and berries and that sort of thing. And that's what they have to eat. Yeah. And she is very worried about the menu. Throughout the entire date, it is very pressing. <laughs> she definitely is. Uh, she's very she's very concerned that he's not going to like it, or he's not going to be able to eat it, or it's going to make him sick, or I don't know what. But she cares a lot, which yeah. is sort of, again, we talked about that last week, that it's so, their relationship has gotten so intense so yeah. quickly. And this is sort of just another level of that of her really caring what he thinks when really they've only you know hung out a handful of times like four or five times at this point yeah and only like one of them would be classified as a date a few can be classified as him stalking her for sure (laughs) but (laughs) i think the only date would have been yoga realistically (laughs) yeah Anyway, so um, the thing that I really like about this book is the whole thing right now is taking place at Oxford University in England. Um, And the way that they describe the university blows my mind because she lives in, a, I guess, almost like a dorm room, but it's a dorm for visiting 
scholars and professors. It's mm-hmm. not a student dorm. And there's like 18th century furniture and glassware and like <laughs> she's getting wine glasses and china plates and everything that's all like antique is this really how oxford is because those things are worth quite a lot of money and they're just like throwing it around like it's no big deal yeah i have no idea personally but it would be real like i would absolutely love to go if that's the case i'll be like yeah yeah yeah, i'll go just i'll go back to school for that (laughs) yeah 100 percent So yeah, so she also, we sort of get a little bit more of a description about her physical appearance, I think, Mm -hmm. sort of at this point. So we obviously know she's beautiful because she's attracted the attention of a beautiful, like, ages-old vampire. So she has to be beautiful. What sort of perplexes me is she's got frizzy hair all the time, and she says it's from the excess magic coming out of her coming out of her body so her her fr- her hair is always frizzy so she always wears it at a in a bun at the base of her neck which mm-hmm. just you know screams fashion uh, <laughs> and uh she wears like turtlenecks and wide leg trousers like really come on i'm yeah. sure you can muster up a little bit more of an outfit when a handsome vampire's coming to dinner Yeah, she's pretty young for what her fashion sense is described as. Like, she doesn't sound like a woman in her late 20s, early 30s when she's describing her clothes. And she says that most of her clothes is the exact same. It's another one of those, um, like, not like other girl tropes is that she's so effortlessly beautiful and she doesn't know she's beautiful and all of those things. I feel like... There's a lot of moments like that in these books where she's not like other girls. So, yeah. And, you know, black is her color. It says that she frequently, she wears a lot of black, mm-hmm. which is fine. But to me, that just seems like she would be walking around campus in like her black turtleneck and her black wide leg pants. And, like, what, her loafers? She would look like one of those, like, art art majors. Like, all yeah. she needs is a beret. And <laughs> she's, she's ready to go to a spoken word jam session. So, there was another really interesting moment, I guess, when they're having dinner. Uh, obviously, she's asking him a lot about himself and his, uh, you know, his life. Uh, he's also asking her questions. So they have a little cool conversation about um, how humans explain away creatures. Because there was a big focus in the last section, in last week's section, about, um, you know, the creatures um, can't be seen altogether because they attract so much attention. Uh, so they had a really interesting take saying that where the myths come from is based in fact almost so like us humans have uh you know vampires can't go out in the sunlight when in this book no they can go out in the sunlight but it makes them it makes their supernaturalness harder to ignore when they're in the day so humans just made this sort of myth up to sort of make themselves feel better explain away 
creatures. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I really liked that. I thought that was an interesting take. It's not like, oh, they can go out in the sun and they sparkle. Like <laughs> A bit of different take than Twilight, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely new and something that I hadn't heard before, which I definitely loved. And it kept coming up where they'd explain different myths throughout the supper and most of them were super interesting like garlic because it's so pungent that a vampire would shy away from it yeah but only because of the taste and smell not because they actually couldn't eat it so yeah it was definitely interesting we also we learn here that matthew is actually 1500 years old he was born in about the fifth century uh when clovis was the king but yeah, so we learned that he's 1,500 years old. And I just think, like, of course his perfect match would be a historian. Yeah. Like, somebody who has who's, has a history background and who's obsessed with history in general. Yeah, so, like, she is very obsessed with history. Like, she brings it up often about, like, and I know having somebody who actually knows stuff is definitely a reason to do it. But there's just so many different things. And you're like, how do you know about every single one of these things? I guess she did say she had a photographic memory. But, like, I just find it funny. And, again, I understand that she is writing for a certain audience and she is writing in a certain location. But it's just funny that she seems to know a lot about British history, but, Mm -hmm. like, not a lot about other histories. So, like, it just makes the chances of them meeting each other and being together and loving each other sort of even more fantastical because it's like she is literally obsessed with everything that he has ever done yeah on her own even without him being involved yeah and she is an american she's originally from america so it's odd that she is so knowledgeable on everything that is matthew's past yes so I find that this dinner, this sort of dinner date, is sort of the first time that they can really be honest with each other. So they open up and she tells him what she saw when she opened the book. She did open it for a second, look at a couple of pages, and then she was too freaked out, closed it, returned it. Mm -hmm. So she actually tells him what she saw, meaning she started to trust him. And he actually tells her why he wants the book. Yeah. He just, he says uh, that he's really been looking for the manuscript for a really long time. And, um, you know, he thinks it has the origin of all creatures in it. And it's how they started. And that's why he wants the book and that he's been looking for it for ages and ages and ages. Yeah, and they keep kind of mentioning that all the creatures want it for different reasons, but it really seems like the creatures all want it for the same reason. It's all about the origin of all the creatures. And for the vampires, it seems like, well, for the the witches want to be able to end the vampires is kind of what it seemed like Peter Knox was saying. But the vampires want to know how to continue on with their race. So it's kind of the opposite. So it does seem like they're all looking for it for the same reason. But Diana and Matthew, when they're talking about it, they do say that the that everybody thinks that the book is a contradictory thing. But it seems like it's just everything. Or that's likely what it's going to be. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, 
the vampires want it because they want to continue their own race because they're dying out. The witches want it to end the vampires because they hate vampires. But again, like that does sort of the same thing. And the demons wanted to figure out what, like how they came to be. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it just, I just feel like if everybody worked together. (laughs) Yeah, really though. We all work together. (laughs) So after they have their dinner, Diana gets a call from her aunt Sarah and Emily. Emily is Sarah's wife. Emily has a really unique power in that she's a seer. So she uh, can tell when somebody is in distress or she can see um, not too far into the future. It seems like her her power sees, you know, sort of more like the right now into the immediate future. Mm-hmm. So she gets a call And they're wondering why she's hanging out with a vampire because vampires are terrible and they're dangerous and you shouldn't be around them. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so, that sucks to have, (laughs) it sucks to have, imagine having a seer in the family and literally everything you do, they could potentially see and then call you about it. And question your motives and why you're doing something. Yeah, for sure. That would be, I would not want that. And it's unfortunate because you know, as much as we come to love Sarah and Emily, they also have these preconceived prejudices that, um, that, you know, aren't really based in true fact. So Mm -hmm. they're hating on Matthew. They don't really know Matthew. It's very Romeo and Juliet, like hating somebody because of their family. Yeah. So then at the end of dinner, Matthew asks her to come to his lab the next day uh, so that he can show her what he's been working on and why the manuscript is so important basically to him. So the next day she goes to the library. Then at lunchtime, um, they both go to his lab and there is so much security there that it is kind of crazy. Um, At that point, we also meet Marcus when she's inside and he is a lot of fun. I love a lot of the main, a lot of the side characters in this book. Mostly, it's mostly guy side characters, but they've all been really fun so far. (laughs) So, uh, Marcus is technically Matthew's son. So, Matthew made him. He has no filter, which is part of the reason that he is so fun. He works in the lab with him. He is a former doctor. uh, So... He just, he's just, the way he is with Diana is very comfortable, very relaxed, sort of the opposite of Miriam. Like she seems angry to be around her all the time. Mm -hmm. Whereas Marcus just accepts the fact that she's a witch and the fact that she's in their lab right away. Right. Yeah. And, um, he gives her a, he, he, why he like smells her and she's got excess adrenaline and he sort of is like, wow, you know. I you can smell understand. tasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes into how vampires are attracted to adrenaline and why he's sure Matthew wants to be around her is basically what he implies. Um, you'd think that she would have had more issues with vampires in her life, kind of like she has with demons. Because you hear before that demons like to follow her around all the time. You'd think vampires would too, but haven't really heard much on that. Maybe 
there's not as many vampires around her. And it could be too, like, obviously Matthew knew she was a witch, mm-hmm. right? So I wonder if maybe they, maybe they sense her excess adrenaline, but also sense that she's a witch. So they're like, well, stay away. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And vampires have been around for so much longer that generally they've lived long enough to know better, really, than to go after witches, you'd think. Yeah. So they're in the lab and um, they start telling Diana, well, they being Matthew, Marcus, and Miriam, uh, start telling Diana that vampires are not being born. They're having trouble making, like, there's not as many vampires in the world. Uh, So they're saying that their species is deteriorating and that's why they want the book. Yeah. And that also explains all of the vampire-like murders that are happening um, in different parts of the world, really, it seems like. Yeah. So that's sort of a, a, I wouldn't even call it a secondary storyline. It's more of like a fourth storyline it's just sort of something that runs throughout the whole book is that people are being murdered yeah and they look like they're being murdered by vampires so matthew is looking into dna sequencing he wants to understand creatures dna what makes them different from humans to try and sort of discover how they all came to be And probably how to make the species thrive more than it is now. And he goes on to say that all of the creature species are deteriorating, uh, including witches, that they're not as powerful as they used to be. Yes. Um, The next, this chapter that is now upon us where they're in the lab, uh, there's a lot of sciencey stuff they talk about. Mm -hmm. They get into it. Nuclear versus mitochondrial DNA, uh, Darwin's theory of evolution. I mean, like, I know what it is, but I don't really need to read about it so explicitly. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's a lot for a book that the main storyline is Matthew and Diana. And this is like, like you said, it's the fourth maybe the fifth, like there are so many other stories that they're following here. It just is a lot of information in this scene. So yeah, they talk a lot about the science side. Yeah. They talk about different chromosomes that the creatures have and they, all the creatures have a different number of chromosomes as compared to humans, which is definitely an interesting take, but you'd think that humans would have noticed by now like that demons had different makeups especially since demons don't really know they're demons until they're told usually so it it seems like it's something that humans would have noticed before now yeah like especially in the age of dna testing and Mm -hmm. you know blood sequencing and all that jazz you would think that they would have figured out found some sort of evidence at this point yeah but amen the creatures have been able to keep it quiet more power too (laughs) uh but my favorite line of the chapter is when matthew says that's enough science for today and in my head i said thank god because i honestly (laughs) felt like i was in science class in high school again yeah 
Um, they also, they go to yoga again. Mm-hmm. So this is like, I think in the book, their third time going to yoga together. This is the day after their dinner. They still haven't like really talked about being in a relationship or what they were to each other or what they were doing with each other. What? When they're at yoga, I found this so funny. Another vampire accidentally brushes up against Diana as they're like getting out of the car to go to yoga. And Matthew immediately grabs her hand to like stake his claim. Mine. My right? own. Yeah, that was uh, very possessive, for sure. Yeah. And, like, it just, I don't want to say it bothers me, but he literally went from, what, two, three days ago to abandoning her and going hunting because he's craving her Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to hurt her to now, all of a sudden, somebody else can't even do an accidental brush without, like, him being like, no, 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 no. Yeah, and it's it almost seems like it's like unconsciously done that he's like, Nope, you can't touch her. That's like putting another vampire scent on her basically is he's not for it. Which I get, like if it's it's unconscious. Well, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> it's still like they've still only known each other a week. Yeah. And he he's he calls her Ma Valiante Fille. So his <laughs> brave or valiant girl. And it's like, she's yours, dude? Like, I know you're possessive, but, like, That's a lot. Put the brakes on. Yeah. That night, he takes her to dinner. She goes to... favor. (laughs) Yeah. She goes to his place. And probably my favorite thing of all time, before they go up to his room, so obviously he's a member of the super secret dorm... So only the really, really, really elite uh, members of Oxford get to get to use this apartment building dorm sort of thing. And it has a freaking wine cellar and he could just go down and take any of the wine. So dinner. Sure. Let's go down. And they take four bottles for wine. And like, I can be a lush. <laughs> I drew. I like wine. But, like, you're going to be cut. You are going to be so intoxicated. Like, if they're, if they're sharing it glass for glass. Yeah. Diana Diana's, will die. Diana will die. <laughs> right? 100%. <laughs> I hope that he's the one doing most of the drinking. Because, obviously, I'm not concerned that he'll die. No. <laughs> yeah. But I'm concerned for her. Yeah, definitely. I do appreciate, though, how much alcohol is in the books, because I know a lot of times books and movies shy away from drinking, binge yeah. drinking, maybe. I would call I would call Matthew a binge drinker, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. Binge drinking tendencies, for sure. That's true. Matthew also, so he's he's super into wine. Like, wine mm-hmm. is his thing. So they actually spend a lot of this dinner just tasting the wine. And uh, he, like, has a little game where he has her taste it. And what do you think it tastes like? Mm-hmm. And she has to try and get from it what he gets from it. And then he tells her what he tastes. And obviously he can taste 
so much more than she can. Uh, but it's like, I don't know, a little game. It's, mm-hmm. They literally spend all of dinner talking about wine. Well, up until she tastes one and she's like, it tastes like you. And he questions her on that. And then she decides to ask him how she would taste, which <laughs> like <laughs> she knows he gets angry about things. Why would you ask how you taste to a predator that would eat you? (laughs) Like, would you ask a shark, how do I taste when the shark is actively trying not to eat you? It doesn't make any sense. And she's like, he gets so angry. And she's mentioned before that she's afraid of him sometimes because of how angry he gets. Yet she still asks that question. I was, I was shook personally (laughs) i also like she said that one of the wines they have i'm sorry tastes like chalk and butterscotch (laughs) why would you want a wine to taste like chalk to me that is ridiculous yeah i don't understand that why is that a goal in wine agreed yeah he also says at one point during this dinner that he's never felt like this before and i just have to kind of roll my eyes because he is very old um how how have you never felt like this before and why in your entire lifetime what are you doing that's any fun if you've never (laughs) felt in love after two weeks (laughs) with somebody else i don't know it just seems very cliche vampire falls for a human moment you want to feel special so she feels very special because he's never felt like this in all of his years i also just so i find their relationship is moving super fast which we sort of have talked about yes but it it sort of reminds me of like their relationship just being like sort of a soul mate sort of scenario yes yeah so i agree i I don't really understand at one point, Hamish did say something about mating, and I wonder what that looks like in this world. Like, do you get one mate per person? Do you just mate with somebody that you're attracted to? What What is mating? Um, so he drives her home after their dinner, and she goes into her house. She waves him off. Uh, everything is fine. However... She sees scratches all over her doorknob when she goes into her room. And my mind is just so, like, what a moron. Mm -hmm. Like, she literally takes note of it, brushes it off as nothing. Like, we live in a sort of safe area, I would say. Mm -hmm. I've never had somebody try and break into my house. But... If I saw freaking scratches mm-hmm. all over my doorknob and the keyhole, like, I feel like this, it's 101. Like, obviously check that nobody has broke, like, somebody has broken in. Yes. Also, three different species of creatures think you are in possession of a magical book that you do not have, but they all think you do. Of course they're going to break into your house. Yeah. And- look around like come on man yeah she has no self-preservation it seems whatsoever yeah or she's being willfully just stupid it seems like that because i i really don't understand it 
the next day, she goes back to the library again. She lives there. <laughs> uh, Peter Knox is there. And he is, again, from last week's episode, he is the, he's sort of a representative for the witches. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not very nice. He's already sort of approached her um, a couple of times, you know, insinuating that because she's a witch, she needs to side with the witches. And I think he tried to use his magic to like probe into her brain, into her head. Yeah. And she had to like shove him out. So he is in the library as well. And he approaches her. Her and Matthew are sitting together this time around. And he calls Diana down to the dirt because she's sitting with a vampire. Or like they're, they touched. Their arms brushed each other. So like he thinks she is like a traitor and a terrible person. It's just, dude, like, I don't understand where these people learn their manners. Yeah. Like, obviously, if you want something, suck up to somebody. You don't Mm -hmm. like, it just, it bothers me because they are doing the exact opposite of what they want to do. They're pushing her right into Matthew's arms because he is the only one being polite. Yeah. And nice. And like a friend and yeah it becomes more than that but they're like they're disrespecting her they're insulting her they're bringing her dead parents into the Mm -hmm. into the mix but like what what it just feels like no sane logical person would actually do that i like i just can't picture somebody with relative intelligence saying I need what that girl has so I'm going to go over and I'm going to insult her. It's like <laughs> it's like straight out of elementary school. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't that what guys do when they have a crush on you? So, uh, he's very threatening mm-hmm. in this scene, right? So he threatens them. He says, like, he insults her, says, oh, it was just a fluke. You couldn't get it out again even if you wanted to but then says oh she's gonna get it out for us right like yeah he's all over the place he really like it'd be easier if he even tried to like talk her up and be like you're the only one that can do this like i don't know there's so many better ways that he could go about this i just don't understand why he chose this one other than the literary device of getting her closer to matthew Yes. Anyway, so they, uh, I guess, Matthew, this threat does not sit well. Uh, So he comes out, he says, okay, we're going to leave the library now. So they leave and go back to her place. Uh, And Matthew all of a sudden says, we're getting out of here. We're going to go out to the country for a little bit. It's not safe for you here. Uh, And she gets mad, which I'm here for. Yeah. She's like, no way. You're not telling me what to do. I have a big lecture to prepare for. I need all these books. I ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Knox can stuff it, right? And she gets so mad that electricity starts running off of her fingers. Yeah. Then she tries to put him underwater to try and get the electricity out. 
what happens when you mix water and electricity? <laughs> yeah. And you think she'd realize it because apparently she's done it before, she says afterwards. <laughs> she's like, oh, that's why that happened when I did it as a child. And it's like, yes, that's that's what does happen when you mix electricity and water. But she literally went from from saying, no, I'm not going. You can't make me to... Oh, I guess. Okay, we'll go. Like, I was really proud of her for being, like, a strong, independent female. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can't tell me what to do to all of a sudden, oh, he's telling her what to do and she's taking it. She lost a little bit for me there. Yeah, for sure. And during their conversation, so she gets super mad and has the electricity and then she wants to flee, basically. She has a flee response. And then he grabs her. And she's, like, asking him to let her go, and he will not. And that was a super red flag for me. I was like, I do not. That's too much. But just another red flag that Matthew has that I'm just going to ignore for now, I guess. So this was all at his rooms. And then she goes back to her place to pack a bag to go to the country. And when she's on her way inside, uh, the doorman or security guy, um, I forget his name, he gives her her mail. So that's when she goes upstairs and uh, and opens her mail and sees the picture of her dead parents in color, which she's never seen it in color before. And I'm sure it's shocking in black and white, and I'm sure it's even worse in color. So she has a bit of a panic here. Yeah. So somebody anonymously sent her that picture. Um and yeah, she has she has a moment. She throws up. She's sick. Her fight or flight response is like in overdrive. Um so we said in the last episode that she was a child when her parents died. Uh Sarah became her guardian wouldn't really tell her what happened so she looked it up in the newspaper and um found the picture and saw and you know read the headline that they were murdered because the locals thought they were witches Mm -hmm. and then now she got this color picture and it all came rushing back so Matthew must have heard something or sensed something was wrong and he gets the doorman and rushes up to her room and uh, the doorman opens the door and they get inside and he basically grabs her and holds her because she is not okay. And then he gives his keys to the to the doorman to drive his car and put it somewhere so that he can stay with her for a bit. So he, he sedates her. then so that she'll sleep um and then yeah so he once she's asleep he has a chance to look at his phone and he has multiple missed calls from marcus so he finally gives him a call back and marcus basically just says that diana's blood samples are interesting so he just asks marcus to come over with the blood samples with his passport and with a bag of some sort and to come over and watch uh, watch Diana for a bit, basically. So yeah, so back in the in the sciency the sciency chapter, they did they took a sample of Diana's blood to test it. So that's what they're referring to there. Um, 
Yeah. And we get a bit more from Marcus here. We hear from him that all of Matthew's bad decisions that he makes are based out of anger. And it's nice to hear from Marcus that since he knows Matthew so well and at this point he knows how mad he is so he's tiptoeing around him just in case he goes even further like when he shows up he doesn't want to go into the house until he's invited in because he's afraid Matthew's going to get territorial he knows how angry he is at this point and that that is not a good situation to be around Matthew leaves for a little bit and then he comes back This is the first chat that we get between Matthew and Marcus about uh, a a society called the Congregation. So this is where we first hear about it. We learn that Peter Knox, the mean witchy guy, is actually a member of the Congregation and that the Congregation is in place. It is almost like it's not entirely a ruling It's not like a ruling society. Like they don't rule over creatures, but they enforce predetermined rules. Right. They enforce the rules and the laws that have been around for centuries to help creatures keep a low profile. But the biggest rule issue is that there's no, I guess, fraternizing with members of other creatures. Mm Mm-hmm. Or with other creatures. So a relationship of a romantic nature between two different types of creatures is forbidden. And it seems silly. Yeah. Like if two witches are okay to be in a relationship and that's not going to cause too much of a fuss, why would it be any different for a witch and a vampire? Especially with how much they historically hate each other. You'd think it would be so unlikely that it wouldn't even need to be a rule. So the, yeah, the reasoning is because, uh, you know, creatures, when they're together, they make, they sort of stand out. So, yeah, I don't understand if one creature doesn't stand out, but two creatures do. Why does it matter what combination of creatures it is? Yeah. Marcus tells Matthew about her blood work and that it's insane and that there are markers for everything they've ever heard of and um, and even some things that they've never heard of magic-wise. So Matthew is shocked and he's like, this can't be right. And Miriam had looked it over and had some notes as well. So Marcus asks if he's going to tell Diana and Matthew says that he plans to keep it from her, which I think is kind of shitty. It doesn't end up being for that long, so it's like kind of okay, but if he it still seems a bit unfair to her. Another red flag, if you will. Maybe a pink flag. Yeah. He finally decides. So it, originally he was just gonna take her out into the country in England for a little bit. He's since changed his mind since getting that picture. They're now going to his family home where he originally is from, uh, a place called Set Tour in France. So his mother still lives there uh, and they're going. Matthew then decides he has to leave for a few minutes. He smelled two smells on two cents on the envelope. First one being Peter Knox, which he recognized. 
he sort of tells Marcus about it. Marcus says, well, you can't hunt Peter Knox. He's a member of the congregation. And he says, nope, I'm going to go hunt the other smell. So I assume it's Jillian because she's a straight up B word and she'll do anything to gain the favor of the witches. She just wants to fit in and be the popular one. Yeah. So she did it. So he goes. When he gets back, Diana wakes up. Marcus leaves as soon as Matthew gets back. Diana wakes up. She's feeling all magic-y. She had like a bad dream or something. Her magic gets out of control and she releases a witch wind. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like a mini tornado. I sort of like the way they do it in the show better. Yeah. Because in the show, she's being threatened by Peter Knox and you know, her life is sort of at stake and it's just this huge gale of wind and like people are blowing away. Yeah. In the book, it's more like she's just having a fight or flight response in her home and it releases and she can settle it quite quickly. Yeah. And you, I feel like there's not really a good description of it in the book where you can kind of picture what it even means. Um, whereas in the show, obviously, it's easier to show what's happening. So she talks about her parents dying with Matthew after. Then they kind of have this conversation after she wakes up, and then she goes to sleep again for a bit, I think. And then Sarah and uh, and M call. So she kind of has to explain what's going on and go into a lot more than she has been because she's been kind of not confiding in them at all. Uh, she gets very defensive when they say that she should know how to keep someone out of her head. But really, it's her own fault. You can't just claim ignorance for something like that, I think. Like, you should, as a witch, you should know how to keep someone out of your head. It's probably one of the only things that really would matter, in my opinion. Yeah. After she hangs up with, uh, you know, after Matthew talks to Sarah and M. And essentially assures them that he'll keep Diana safe. He breaks it to her. P.S. We're not going to the country. We're just going to France instead. She's like, no way, Jose. We're not going that far. Uh, And essentially he bribes her with an old manuscript that she needs for her paper. He just happens to have a copy of in his library at home. So he bribes her with an old book to go to France. And she's like, well, I guess I'm here for it. So she's, she's soup. She has to go pack and she's super low maintenance and takes the smallest bag he's ever seen a woman take anywhere. And she's not like any of the women he knows in his entire life. Super shocked that she doesn't need to take stuff. Anyway, I find, I find the not like other girls thing super annoying, but yeah. But then, like, <laughs> but then on top of that, it's he his tropes are equally annoying because mm-hmm. he takes her to the airport, and while she's thinking they're going to get on like a a plane, no, he takes her to the private tarmac, and he's got a <laughs> private plane, and that's how they're getting to France. It's like, come on, man. Like, of course he, and I understand. Yes, you're fifteen hundred years old. You have time to make money. 
but of course he has a private plane. And of course, once they get there and Mm -hmm. drive to this little tiny, tiny town in France, and of course, they live in a freaking castle. Trope on trope on trope. Yeah, they're both very tropey people. But again, I still love it. Moving on after they get to the castle, uh, we finally meet Matthew's mother. This is obviously not his birth mother. This is his vampire mother. So in the book, the vampires have a really, I guess, for Matthew's group anyway, they have a really strong sense of family. So Isabeau, that's her name, Isabeau, is Matthew's vampire mother, but he treats her with the respect of being his actual mother you know, she treats him like her actual son. And the same goes for Matthew and Marcus's relationship. Matthew is sort of more a fatherly role to Marcus. And Marcus shows him the respect as a fatherly character. We finally meet Matthew's mother. And in the book, she is described as being a small woman who's really like icy and cold and really elegant. But technically younger than Matthew in look. So she was probably turned as a vampire in age before Matthew was. She's obviously still older than him, but I just find it really... He was 38 when he was turned, so she could have been her late 20s. She could have been in her 30s. Yeah. So she looks younger than him, which is why it's sort of weird to think of him as... uh, think of her as his mother. However, the actress that plays Yizabo in the show, uh, the actress is Lindsay Duncan. She's great. Love her so much. She's just so, like, regal and poised and elegant. And I find it really hard to, like, separate the two in my mind. I now can't picture any, anybody else but Lindsay Duncan as Yizabo, Matthew's mother. So yeah. reading the book again... I naturally put her in my mind, even though I I guess I shouldn't. Yeah, even though you are reading that she looks younger, but automatically, yeah, my head does the same. I I do put her in the role as well. Yeah. Um, So they go in, introduce themselves. Uh, Diana goes up to her room. They go up to Matthew's room. Obviously, he picks this tower that's super far away from every other part of the of the castle and his he's like a tower but it's got like three levels so he's got like a sitting room and then he's got like a library room and then he's got his bedroom and it's all done in browns and golds and greens and it's very obvious that it's like a man's room and it's uh antiques everywhere so it's a really old man's room <laughs> old man's room <laughs> because he is very old he's 1500 years old so he's he an old, old he's an old man he's got but it i find it a bit annoying that all of the things in his room so she's like sort of looking around and being picky pokey when they get to his room all the stuff he's got he's got tons of books and everything like that They're all famous people. So, like, Mm -hmm. he's got paintings by famous people. He's got letters and books by Darwin and plays by uh, Marlowe. And, like, 
it's just like, did this guy not know any normal people? Like, did he literally set out to befriend every ancient famous person? It just like, dude. Yeah, it seems wild. I'm guessing he just kept the stuff from the famous people. Any of his friends that weren't famous, he was like, well, that's not that's not special. I'm not keeping that. That's totally what I would do. <laughs> they, uh, I guess, Yizbo comes up and they have a chat uh, and they speak in uh, Occitan. They tend to reset to that language when they're talking to each other which puts Diana at a disadvantage, right? Because she doesn't speak this language. It's not very popular anymore. (laughs) Matthew has a really fancy bed, sort of like a Scrooge McDuck bed. (laughs) So she goes and takes a nap in it. She sort of, in France, has become this different person. Like, they just got there. And I already feel like she's changed who she is as a person because it's sort of like she was so stubborn And, like, you can't tell me what to do. Now they're in France, and he's like, I'm going to pick you up and put you in bed, and you're going to have a nap. And she's like, okay. And then she, like, rolls over and has a nap. It's like, come on, man, have some spine. She's sleeping all the time now. Like, all the time. She slept for, I don't know, it was like midday when they went after yoga. It might have been early evening, maybe. And she slept forever. And then they came here. She slept on the plane. And now she got there for five seconds, really. Walked up a bunch of stairs, sure. But she's super athletic. And now she's having a nap. Just seems odd. So then she wakes up from her nap. And they go for a tour They go for a nice walk around the grounds and they visit the stable and she meets this lovely, like, I guess, a stallion, Balthazar, uh, that Matthew says, oh, don't go near that horse. That horse is not a game. It's not a joke. And she automatically like, oh, is, oh, you sweetheart. And is like petting him and stuff. And friends, right. They're like besties. So, of course, she can tame the wild horse. Like, again, every trope is in there. (laughs) Yeah, she can tame the horse and she can tame the man. It's (laughs) foreshadowing. But then, after they go to the stables and look at the horse, she goes for another freaking nap. I understand she's been through an event, but England and France are not that far apart, so it's not like she has a ton of jet lag to worry about. And... I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to downplay her trauma. However, she has been essentially sleeping nonstop because some guy threatened her. I mean, yes, that's serious, but big whoop. He said some words to her. She's got vampires for bodyguards now. Like, yeah, chill the beans. And then uh, somebody delivered a picture, a very disturbing picture. But, like, it's not like she had a huge, it's not like she, like, participated in the Hunger Games. <laughs> she wouldn't be <laughs> napping as much if she did. <laughs> but, like, literally, I just, I just think she's sleeping way too much. I feel like she needs to go to the doctor and s- see somebody about that. Figure out why. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a lot. And, like, even in the beginning of the book, they talk about how much she's a terrible sleeper, but she's not even... Like, there's one night that she doesn't sleep for the whole night. But I'm like, that's not 
she still gets seven hours of sleep one of the other nights. Like, I don't understand. I don't know. I feel like she isn't really a terrible sleeper. After she gets up again, after her second nap of the day, they go out for a ride with the horses. However, she's not allowed to ride Balthazar. She says that she's done dressage and jumping before, which, like, that's not just riding a horse. That's actually, you have to know your way around a horse to do those things. Yeah. So we can say that she is fairly competent on a horse, and she's told him. However, he still makes her wear all the protective gear, which, like, fair. You should wear protective gear anyway. Like, safety first. But not just a helmet. She has to wear, like, a chest pad. Mm -hmm. And then he also makes her ride uh, another horse named Rakasa. And then he tells her to go a couple of uh, couple of laps around the paddock. And she knows that It's so that he can see and make sure she's competent on the horse. Even though she just told him she's competent on the horse. Mm -hmm. He doesn't trust her word. He wants to see for himself. And she sort of starts thinking, oh, maybe, like, what if I jumped over the paddock fence? Like, what would happen? And he actually, like, I don't know if they just have a similar mindset. He actually says to her, if she jumps over the paddock fence... The outing is over. And I was just flabbergasted. Yeah. Red flag. It's not something, yeah, it's not something that puts her in danger because she even says she has done jumping before. So it's not something that you would expect somebody to get that angry about. Like she has the experience. She's done this many times. Why are you restricting her from doing this? It just, it is, like you said, it's a red flag. But whatever. They go out. They have a nice ride. She uses a bit more magic. And the same way she walks with her eyes closed, all of a sudden now she's riding with her eyes closed and, like, using magic inadvertently to, like, make make Rikasa faster. Uh, So they have a nice little time outside. And Matthew... Uh, sits her down and then he tells her actually about her DNA. He he takes out the piece of paper and shows her that she has the predisposition for basically every witch power that exists that they know of. Yeah, she's a super witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess they sort of table that, go back to the house and now for some reason, I don't know why, he starts to be more accommodating. So he asks her please don't go riding by yourself. Because he thinks it's dangerous. And she notices him like asking and saying, oh, well, this is a man that's used to being obeyed. But look, here he is. He's asking. He's asking me. He's not just telling me. He's asking politely. So look, look at how he's changing for me. And it's like, bitch, five minutes ago, he told you you weren't allowed to jump over a fence. Yeah. Like he is. He has not changed that much. Anyway, she goes for another freaking nap. Yeah. And then he sets her up in his little library. So when she wakes up, he's got that book he bribed her with ready for her to look at. But she just starts moseying around his library and finds a book about him. 
reads yeah. that instead. And you're like, are you ever going to finish this lecture for the conference that you're so worried about? It's in less than a month, ma'am. You should probably <laughs> focus. Yeah. It's like uh, her work was super important and now all of a sudden she's got a man. It's not important no more. <laughs> but I guess procrastination is a large part of trying to get papers done and <laughs> talks ready. So I, I, I can understand that, but still, don't, uh, don't say you're not procrastinating. <laughs> they go down to dinner with Yzbo. It was a really – I found it a really odd dinner. So, like, mm. you know, they have dinner – after dinner, they dance in the middle of the living room. Not There's something like, that happens at my parents' house after supper. No. Mine neither. No. no. We don't have dance parties or anything. And uh, so first, Matthew and Yisbo dance. And they do like a actual fancy, like a, a, a choreographed sort of ballroom dance. Uh, then he decides he asked Diana to dance and they dance and they end up floating there. She ends up levitating them because she's so happy and her eyes were closed. So obviously she starts, she doesn't know she's floating until he says, open your eyes and she opens them and oh my gosh, we're floating. So then Isabeau is talking to her and she's like Isabeau's saying that Diana can't turn away from her magic and she needs to start learning more and doing more with her magic because she's obviously very powerful and then Matthew gets mad at his mother for saying this even though a few chapters ago he said the exact same thing to her and Diana does stand up for herself and does tell them all to back off and that it's her choice basically and that she knows that she does need to start using magic more. But still, I found it very hypocritical of Matthew to get mad at his mother for the exact same shit that he said. Boss, you know, after that, they had, they finished and they went up to bed. They went up to his room. They did not sleep in the same room together. Let's make that clear. She got the bed to herself. He slept down in his his study or something. Um. So, but... This time, they finally kiss. Yay. So we finally have our first kiss between the two of them a whole week later. <laughs> but, uh, so it, she sort of wants to take it further. Uh, he does not, for reasons unknown as of yet. But she then compensates by asking him to sing her a song so she can go to sleep like she is a freaking child and needs a lullaby to go to sleep the next day we have a little bit of drama yeah so they're just living their lives and all of a sudden we have a visitor at the castle and his name is domenico so he is sort of a menacing character they sort of see him like hanging at the gate they go out and say like hey what are you doing here Domenico and so he's, he's sort of a menacing character uh so I understand that he's meant to be the antagonist he's meant to be a bad guy but I just love him in the tv show especially I love him he's more like sort of neutral in the tv show I find mm -hmm. he's not yeah. like super bad also the actor that plays him is uh Greg Chillin I just find him real dreamy. Yeah. 
definitely. So I'm totally team Domenico. I I do. I like the character. He's very gray, I would say. Yes. Gray is a great word. So they seem, so Domenico and Matthew have a little bit of banter. So they seem to know each other quite well. They've done a lot of traveling together. Uh, It comes out that he works for the congregation. Okay, so we already discussed that the congregation is the society to help creatures stay hidden from humans. Matthew sort of insinuated in an earlier conversation with Marcus that he didn't think the congregation would enforce that rule of different creature relationships because it was such an old rule. Nobody ever broke it. He didn't think it would be that big a deal. Domenico sort of dissuades him of that notion and is like, we know what you're doing here, bud. We're not here for it. So he actually said, if that rule, the, they call it the covenant, if the covenant is broken, we will take action. So it's sort of a threat. He's there to deliver the message that, you know, if anything happens between Matthew and Diana relationship-wise, then the congregation will move forward with action. We don't know what action. They'll just move forward with action. Okay. Repercussions of some sort. Yeah. Diana is very shocked when she hears this rule because Matthew Matthew hasn't told her anything because he's a moron who's protecting her from everything. She's shocked. And so she obviously comes back at Domenico and is sort of like, what business is it of the congregations? What I do? Even though Domenico is like polite to her, she still says that everything he says feels like a threat. It, it kind of makes you wonder if that's because Domenico wants it to sound like that or if she's just being protective because he's so prote- so aggressive towards Matthew. If she's kind of feeling a protective instinct and seeing him as a threat instead of him trying to threaten her. She tries to stand up for herself and Matthew then growls at her and told her to go back to the house. Who the hell do you think you are, dude? This is a conversation for men. (laughs) God. (laughs) They do end up going inside and leave Matthew and Domenico to chat outside. Yzebo takes um, Diana up to like the top of a tower and they raise a really interesting flag. Yeah. Matthew had said that. The citizens of the town know that they are vampires, or they did at one point, and they know that if this flag is up, then that means that there's danger, so they should close up early, get home, and not be out and about. So while they're up in that tower, Yzebo, I think, gives uh, Diana a little bit more information on the congregation. So we learn that the covenant, which is this this big series rule, um, is bound to all witches, vampires, and demons. Nobody is allowed to abstain. And the congregation is made up of nine creatures, three from each species. And Peter Knox is one of the witches. So he's one of the three witches on the congregation. Yzebo thinks that Diana is really super brave for talking back to Domenico and standing up for herself. That's so brave. He's a vampire. He could like kill you immediately. 
I think they're all being a bit condescending. Yizabo also mentions that she thinks Diana should turn Matthew away. If she really loves him, she'll turn him away because if they break the covenant, they'll both be in danger. And she doesn't want Matthew to be in danger, does she? So it's one of those like give him up to protect him sort of scenarios. Which in this case makes a tiny bit more sense because like he can continue to live on forever and she just has a mortal lifespan. So I get why as his mother she's saying it, but it is definitely another trope that we're getting into of you got to let him go, which obviously we know at this point isn't going to happen. If they're this in love after a few weeks, it's never, she's never going to give him up. So Yizbo then says like, you know, they will kill him for breaking the covenant. Uh, Definitely him. She doesn't really say anything about them killing her. Yeah. I don't know if that's just because she's like, doesn't care about Diana. So she just doesn't bring it up. I don't know. Seems a bit odd. Diana is obviously furious that he kept this rule from her. Like this whole big thing. Like they've been sort of dancing around a relationship for a week. And he didn't even think to tell her that technically they're not allowed. (laughs) However, he doesn't even come back inside for them to discuss it. As soon as Domenico leaves... Matthew goes off on his horse and has a temper tantrum all freaking day. (laughs) He's gone all day and he doesn't come back until like evening. Yeah. And then he just flat up says to Diana, she's like, well, what are we going to do about the covenant? And he says, it's fine. We're not breaking the covenant. He's like, oh, we're not going to do that. And I'm going to take you back to college now so this was a whole big diversion to france for no reason but it's okay because i got a private jet so let's just let's just go back it yeah it it bothers me because he doesn't even talk to her about it it's just i've made this decision we're definitely not breaking the covenant Mm -hmm. don't even think about it and then on top of that the whole reason he brought her to france was a, because she was getting threatened by Peter Knox, a member of the congregation. And B, they sent her like crazy pictures of her poor dead parents. So like he was like, oh, it's not safe for you here. Let's go. Is it too dangerous to be in Oxford because mm-hmm. there's this still the whole manuscript thing going on? Or can she not be in Septor because of the whole covenant thing going on? It's like... She's not safe anywhere, but he's still like, we're going to go back to Oxford. He's not making smart decisions. No. And it's obviously because he's mad. And it goes back to Marcus said earlier that all of his dumb decisions were made when he was mad. And you can tell that when he's mad, he just doesn't think he says dumb shit. Obviously. She tells him that she loves him. And he says, oh, no, you can't love me. We've only known each other for three weeks. It doesn't seem like it's been three weeks, but whatever. And in all fairness, truth, it feels like an Elsa moment. (laughs) You can't marry a man you just met, right? Like, she's like, oh, I love you. No, you've only just known him. You don't, you can't marry him. You can't be with him. Can't say you love him yet. 
Yes. It's a bit wild. So yeah, she basically decides in her head that she loves him enough that it's okay if she can't see her family anymore and if she hurts her family, which seems a bit much at best. It's absolutely crazy that her aunts who have raised her since she was seven, she's now just going to throw them away for a man that she's known for three weeks. It's very unbelievable. Like, I can imagine, you know, yes, being in love is a thing, 100%. But I would never... And, you know, I would I would think that I am happily in love. But <laughs> if somebody said, hey, your entire family will be in danger if you pursue this relationship, I would definitely think twice about it. Maybe yeah. even three times. Yeah. And right? I'd probably try to find something other than just choosing one of them for sure. I'd try to find a different way around it. Yeah. But I wouldn't just be like, well, I love him. That's it. <laughs> Bye, fam. Yeah. Yeah. However, so this, the conversation now gets put on hold because Matthew gets some information that his lab has been broken into back in Oxford. So now all of a sudden he has to go back to Oxford and Diana originally is like, okay, well, I guess let's go. And he says, no, no, you're staying here. So Literally five minutes ago, he said, we need to go back to Oxford. We can't stay here because of the covenant. And now you cannot come with me. It is too dangerous in Oxford. He needs to make up his freaking mind. Yeah, he's all over the place. So he he does leave her. He leaves her in France um, protected. Of course. He leaves her and she gets very upset. Yes. So upset that she creates witch water. So earlier in this section, she made witch wind because she was upset in her uh, dorm room. Now she's made witch water. So essentially water is pouring out of every facial hole that she has. Yeah. So it's coming out of her eyes. It's coming out of her mouth. It's coming out of her nostrils. It's coming out of her fingertips. And her hair turns into water. Like everything is water. And she's just like inconsolable. She's so unhappy. She wants to let the water take her. She wants to become water. And Yizabo is standing there watching the witch water happen along with their... Uh, housekeeper Mart and Yizbo starts singing which is what calms Diana down and and has her come back to being solid and not water anymore. Water. I don't really understand witch water. You'd think that her magic wouldn't be something that could kill her or she'd have some protection from it in some sort. It just doesn't really make sense to me that her her own magic almost just killed her. But I don't I agree with you in that I do think it tried to kill her, but I think it was more so I think it was her consciousness like just wanting to become the water because it was calming, right? Mm. It was like she was like floating on the water almost. So like she just wanted to to let it take her away. Yeah. I don't think it was a, a breathing issue. Like, yeah. I think she could still breathe. 
or she didn't feel the need to breathe. I don't think it was choking her. TV show Witchwater was completely different. Yes. It was just rain. Which kind of makes more sense to me. I just always picture that kind of stuff as an external thing as opposed to happening to your body, like your hair turning into water. I would would more assume it was external. But both interesting takes. Yes. So they get her solid again. Uh, but I guess after being exposed to all this water, they need to like take care of her, warm her up, get her dressed. They put her in a super hot bath and like keep changing the water out. And the because she's like cold down to the bone, they dress her in the warm PJs and socks and get her all toasty in front of a fire with like a million blankets. Yeah. So. At one point, Diana asks Isabeau about the visions that she used to have when she was a human and asks if she was a witch as a human. And uh, Isabeau is really upset that Matthew told Diana about her visions and says that it's not his story to tell. And then she goes ahead and tells Diana about Matthew and how he was turned into a vampire, which seems kind of backhanded <laughs> and it wouldn't really be her story but you know maybe it's kind of in a part payback to Matthew and also a story to scare Diana a bit or kind of make her realize her ex- insignificance in his very long life yeah so I guess this was sort of um Diana's bedtime story so she gets lullabies she gets bedtime stories essentially she's treated like a toddler in this castle uh yizabo promises says okay if you get in bed and you go to sleep uh have your snack right they make her they make her a little snack it's true (laughs) they say then i'll tell you how matthew was made into a vampire so they tell her he was a stonemason in the village where Yisabo was living with her husband at the time, Philippe. They lived in their fortress. They took care of the village. And when Matthew was 25, he married Blanca, who was a beautiful uh, village girl. They kept having a ton of miscarriages. And then finally, they had one son, Lucas. One day, they both uh, succumbed to a fever, a of the time so this was again back in probably the fifth maybe sixth century Mm -hmm. uh so obviously a fever is actually quite deadly during this time uh so both lucas and blanca died uh matthew was obviously inconsolable and eventually after a few weeks of mourning he fell off a wall so there was an insinuation by Yizabo that maybe he didn't fall maybe he jumped but she turned him because uh she was actually afraid that if he had tried to commit suicide he would not be able to join Blanca and Lucas in the afterlife when eventually it comes for him because obviously in Christian religions or at least the Catholic religion uh, suicide does not allow you to go into heaven. So that's why she turns him into a vampire and made him a member of the family. And it's there's a few points in the story that are very pointed to 
not necessarily hurt Diana, but just make her realize that she isn't the only person that's ever been in Matthew's life. She says, um, Isabeau says at some points that he falls in love with Blanca because of how delicate she is. And then pointedly looks at Diana and is like, unlike you, basically. Um, And that Matthew loves fragile things. And also just the whole point of bringing up Blanca and Lucas to her as people that are in his past that, he probably should have told her about himself, but it has only been three weeks. I guess it does take a bit of time to get into the part of a relationship, but it is a story that is told to her so that she knows that she isn't the first person that he's ever loved and that he has loved somebody so much that he possibly did jump off of a wall to kill himself. So it's it's kind of a backhanded story in a way. Yeah, and it's she also does say to Diana, like, I guess there might have been a look of shock on her face when Yisabel reveals that he was married and had a child. And she says, did you think that you were the first, right? It's like, mm-hmm. she's intentionally seems like she's trying to hurt her and trying to, I guess, show that you don't really know him the way you think you do. And therefore, you you can't love him the way you think you love him because you don't know him. Yeah. And then it all comes back to, are you really going to break this rule that has been in place for so long to keep all creatures protected for a man that you really know nothing about? And that's the end of this section. Well, that wraps it up for this week. If you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes or have any book suggestions, you can email us at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com and be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at coffeeandcoread. That's C-O-F-F-E-E-A-N-D-C-O-R-E-A-D. Next week, we'll be reading through chapters 24 to 33 of A Discovery of Witches, so make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our little chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find our content. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you on the next page.